Um, we are in the book of Genesis still as we're making our, uh, our way through. And um, Pastor John is tasked with a uh, rather large section today. So I'm not going to read um, that section in its entirety. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 7. Um, and we're going we're gonna to focus in on some key verses. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 7 and Genesis chapter 8. Uh, so that'll be Genesis chapter 7 verses 23 uh, and 24. And then we'll, we'll turn to Genesis chapter 8, verses 15 through 19. We'll read those together, and that'll give a bit of a foundation as uh, Pastor John comes to, to bring the entirety of that section. I think, uh, John, I think you said this morning, the, the verses in question here that you'll be teaching from this morning are about a thousand, a thousand words long. So um, buckle your pew belt. We'll be here for a while. Hot diggity. All right, Genesis chapter 7, uh, verses 23 and 24. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Moving through to Genesis chapter 8, verses 15 through 19. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all of the flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. This is the word of the Lord. He had grown up hearing the stories of his great-grandfather Enoch, although he had never met him. He had heard the stories of Enoch, the one who walked with God. He had heard about how Enoch had known the Lord better than all of them. It even seemed to them that Enoch had spoken directly with God, and that God had spoken directly with him. He really knew the Lord. Enoch knew the Lord. His great-grandfather, Enoch, knew the Lord personally. As a father, as a friend. But always as God. His father, Lamech, and his grandfather, Methuselah, would all say, seem to say the same things about Enoch. He was a man of God. And then they would say the most curious thing, the strangest thing that had happened. It was Enoch was no longer there. God had taken him. Noah 
when he was born, he couldn't, thinking about his name and how they thought that he was the promised rest that would come, the one through which God would fulfill the promise of solving the problem of sin. But it didn't seem to be. It was a strange time when Noah was alive and thinking about his great-grandfather. And Noah, he walked with God, but he always wondered, or seemed to wonder, if he walked in the same manner in which his great-grandfather did. The times were so violent and sin was so great. It was everywhere. And then God spoke to him. And the words that God said to him were that all life would end on the planet. But for him and seven family members and animals that God would bring to him. He was left with only trusting in what the Lord had said. Again, his experience was just knowing the stories of who his great-grandfather was and understanding how he walked with the Lord with what people told him. And now the Lord was speaking to him and telling him to build a great, rudderless, sailless ship. The Lord said that waters would come and Noah trusted. He would have heard perhaps jeers and just general disbelief as he started to construct this ark, this giant boat on dry land, nowhere near any water, because he constructed it for anywhere between 50 and 120 years. Yet God protected him and his family during this period of time. Noah trusted in the Lord, had faith in God's plan, and trusted in what God was doing, even while the world was devolving into more and more chaos and sin and violence. But I think that sometimes we can almost be certain that there was days that Noah would have thought to himself, if I'd only be taken away like great-granddad was. If the Lord would just take me away from this. If the Lord would just spare me from what's happening. We know by the Scripture then that Noah had not heard much from the Lord after the command was given on how to build the ark and what was to be done. And then five, six, seven or more decades pass. And the Lord speaks again. And He gave the command to enter the ark with the animals and the seven other members of His family. Given the command to leave the world that He knew behind. To go into this great boat and that would be His new home. To leave everyone he knew behind, uncles, aunts, and cousins. We do not think about that, do we? There are many family members that are not saved. There are only seven additional ones chosen, elected by God for entry into the ark. 
I almost wonder if the Lord said to Noah at this time as he goes into the ark with misgivings, the sun is still shining, if he doesn't say to Noah, I have made you for such a time as this. This is my plan. This is what I am doing. And Noah, I know that they named you for the rest you were to give, but I am giving you rest. And I am hiding you here in this ark. I am hiding you for the judgment that is to come on the world. You can trust in me. We come into Genesis chapter 7, verse 10, 11, and 12. We will talk in sections of Scripture because there is so much that is here. And as we look in verse 10, it says, It came about after seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. The expiration date had come. The, they had turned over the carton of the earth and it said expired. It was time to get rid of it. The sin had increased and the corruption had gone so far that it was time to take care of the problem. 1,660 or so years after Adam was created, in seven days the time would be up. The time had come. The rain had come. Methuselah was gone, his grandfather, and so was his father Lamech. They, the small family that had renounced the world around them, that had renounced the wicked ways of the world around them, that had put their trust in the Lord, in the Lord God, in Yahweh, trusting in the words that had been spoken to the patriarch Noah, their father and their husband, trusting in what the Lord had said, even in the face of ridicule and the ridiculousness, that it might have looked like. It was time to enter the ark, for the door to be closed, for them to shut their lives against the world that they knew, the life that they knew. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 tells us these words. Hebrews 11, verse 7 By faith, by faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. This faith of Noah, granted by the Lord, given to him, told to take his family and this array of animals into the ark, this vessel of salvation made of gopher wood, and the father would not leave them alone in the ark. 
he would be with them always. He would be guiding them and this boat always. And it says there that the rain, excuse me, that the fountains of the great deep burst open. That deep under the ground, there are on this ark that these that that the upheaval is occurring. That this is the start of a cataclysmic event, unlike any that anybody has ever seen or experienced, but for this small family. We know that there is some discussion on whether or not, and I'm going to give you the how we handle this of whether or not rain existed for the 1600 years prior to this. Genesis chapter 2 verse 5 seems to tell us that it doesn't talk about rain. It says before there was rain on the earth, there was a mist that came about and watered the plants at that point in time. People that would say that there was no rain until the flood would point to that passage. People that say that there was rain would also point to that passage and say, well, he doesn't say there wasn't rain, so there might have been rain. What I'm here to tell you is it's not important. And you know how I know it's not important? Because the Bible doesn't tell me it's important. It doesn't tell me that this, whether or not there was rain for 1,600 years, it doesn't matter. What matters is there's going to be a whole lot of rain right now. Rain unlike anybody's ever experienced before or since. We look at the text and we see what the text says. And this is what's important, is what the text says. Not what it might have said or what it could have said, but what he's actually given to us. We have to remember that this pre-flood world is unlike anything we have ever seen. I'm certain we can recognize plants and animals, but it wasn't a world in which we are familiar with. When those great vaults of the deep break open, right? That's what it says. They, they, they burst open. They break open these great vaults, this upheaval that occurs. People would say that this is like the volcanic activity that, that has happened. And we can imagine that is spewing forth all the magma and the dust and the rock and the dirt into the sky, which we know from our experience now causes rain to fall. But this is a worldwide event, a worldwide cataclysm that is occurring. It is everywhere occurring as they go into the ark. As they are in there, in the ark. So it's not about antediluvian, that's the fancy word, for pre-flood weather patterns. This is telling us about God's judgment. About what God is doing in His hatred and wrath against sin. It is so interesting that there's so much specificity given to the date when this occurs. As he says here, as it says in the, in the, in the verse there, it was the 600th year of Noah's life on the second month of the 17th day of the month that this all occurred. We can only wonder because we don't know what the exact calendar time, what, what the calendar looked like pre-flood. We can only understand that this is what was given to Moses and it's in time frames that we can understand, right? That this is occurring. A year is a year, a day is a day, right? And I will unequivocally 
plant a flag here that this flood is worldwide. Do not believe the foolishness of men that says that this is just a localized flood. The, tip, the word that is used here for flood is the Hebrew word mabul. It is only used with regard to this flood. Localized floods, when a wadi would overflow, when a sea might overflow, is an entirely different word. This word is only used with regard to this flood. This is such a great and cataclysmic event that there is nothing like it. And they have this word that describes what it was. A worldwide flood. And the fountains have burst forth. They have split open. We have rocks, magma, water, and rain falling everywhere. All over the globe. Not a place that is left unscathed. Do not miss the fact that this is supernatural in nature. That this is God's doing of judgment that is coming. It was a time of unrelenting terror to those outside the ark. And I'm certain that the ones inside the ark had a lot of trepidation too. But they were told to go in the ark to be hidden from the judgment. That they would be hidden from the wrath that God is bringing to the world. Verse 13. On that very same day when they entered the ark, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Yepteth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of the sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah <coughs> by twos of all flesh in which was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind him. It was a walk of faith for them to move into the ark as they leave everything behind them knowing that something cataclysmic is coming. <coughs> to trust in the Lord, to trust in the word that the Lord had spoken to the patriarch Noah, even walking into that as the storm clouds are gathering, but the sun still may be shining, to move into this great boat, this great vessel made of gopher wood. The fools, the world must have said to them as they went into, what are these fools doing going into this great structure, this boat? By the actions of the world that is out there, we could say that they were the ones of Psalm 14.1, the fool that says in their heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. This is as they move into the ark. These are the people that they're leaving behind. This is the world that they're leaving behind. This is the world that they have said is no more for me. Only what God says is for us. 
It is the world to which Noah preached before God shut the door. And you say to yourself, well, how can you say that? It says nothing about that in Genesis. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It says in verse 5 of 2 Peter, it says, uh, chapter 2, it says, God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. We must remember that this is God's infallible, inerrant word. And it said that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. You can't imagine a man that is walking with God it tells us that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, that Noah walked with God. As we talked in the beginning, in a fashion similar to his great-grandfather, Enoch. You can't imagine that a man of God would go about his business of building a giant ark for the salvation of man and not tell people about God and what was coming and the judgment that was there and calling them to repent and turn away from their sin and turn towards the Lord who saves. Imagine 50, 60, 70, or more years, and the only people that are listening are seven people in your family. The only people that are believing a word you say about who the Lord is are seven people in your family. Think about that for a second as you're building a giant boat. And you heard from God once, and decades have passed. This is the faith of Noah. He said to himself, you could imagine, I've heard from God once, do I need to hear from Him again? You could hear a man such as this that walks with God, that God told me to do something, so I am going to do it. You could understand a man like this that would say that I don't need to check with other sources to see if this is right, but God told me, so I did. This He has answered the call to obedience, and the only ones that are listening to him are his seven members of his family. And you would say to yourself, how do you know that? Because those are the only ones who are found in the salvation that would be found inside that ark, hidden from God's wrath. Noah was an outlier in a world gone mad with sin. As an aside, you too might feel like an outlier in a world gone mad with sin. His small family represented the people of faith that God uses. God typically uses the smallest groups of people, the most insignificant groups of people, to do great things to glorify Him. We would see that in the story of Gideon. When the, his army is reduced from 22,000 to 300, to defeat the Midianites. We see the small band of apostles that go forth and change the world. 
against all worldly thinking. And we see it in the instruction that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he clearly says that God uses the unlikely things to save. He uses those things that are without renown to save. But this preacher of righteousness, Noah, calling out to the lost, to those that will perish in the coming flood, walking as the example, telling them that the, the expiration date is coming, that a time will cease for the preaching. Understand me now. There is a time when the word will no longer go forth in this world. That the expiration date is coming. Every day it is closer. That they will search to and fro for the word of God and they will not find it, as Amos tells us. I believe that's chapter 8 of Amos. That the time for Moses, or excuse me, the time for Noah's preaching for righteousness to this world has ended. The moment that God told them to go into the ark, the preaching stopped. The call to repentance stopped. The call to trust in the Lord stopped. The time had come. There were no 11.59 p.m. believers in this situation. The folly of man would be on display in a million corpses floating in the sea. Men that trusted in men, drowning. A horrible death. But they can't say they weren't warned. He gave them decades to turn to Him. Decades. Because He is a gracious God. He is a God that saves. He is a God that hides those found in Him from the coming judgment. Noah would not be the one, the rest that they were seeking, but God certainly would be the one that would save and give that family rest hidden from the coming judgment. Eight people along with all those animals entered that ark at the Lord's command. The vehicle of salvation of man and beast, the method of salvation prescribed by God, no rudder, no sail, no motor. Go into the ark, God told them, and they went in full obedience. And the door was shut, not by man, but by God. And they were sealed in. To the outside, it might have looked like a tomb. To the inside, it was life itself. God graciously shielding them from what was going to happen around them. Fully under God's protection, hidden in Him. Fully under His care. There is nothing in their control outside of their ark. It is fully in God's hands, and they have that faith in the Lord as the door is shut behind them. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness according to faith. This was the way, the prescribed way of salvation by God. It was a way to bear this, this family where the seed of the Savior would be preserved 
this ark of gopher wood would bear them through God's judgment and wrath. The entirety world was being judged while they were safely enrobed in this ark of wood, protected from everything going on outside of them, hidden from the judgment, hidden by God inside his ark, hidden from his wrath, the seed protected inside the wooden boat. Verse 17 through 23. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark, so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed. It prevailed. In fact, it was unstoppable. There was no dams to keep it in place. There was no mountains that could keep it back. It prevailed. It won. It conquered the earth. The water conquered the earth and more upon the earth, and so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens was covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered 20 or so feet higher than the highest mountain. This was a world consumed by water. This was a world that was covered entirely by water with a tiny 400-foot-long boat floating on top of it. The sole vessel that contained all of life in it. Everything that walked on the planet that was deemed to be saved was there on that ark and fully protected by God while it was on the ark. Fully never outside of God's purview on the ark. Never forgotten by God in the ark. Fully protected by the hands of God in the ark. And we could just imagine what were the waves like. What are they like as they move over the mountains that are now 20 feet or more underneath them as they break over? What are the size of waves that are unfettered by anything? as they keep coursing around the world for hundreds of days. Yet they were protected in that ark. Hidden. Get this. God hid them in it. They didn't choose to be hidden in it. They, he said, build it and I will hide you in this thing from my wrath. Do we see that the same thing happens to Christ's followers? We are hidden in Jesus from God's wrath. That water gathering around that, water falling unlike anything that has ever been seen before, upheaval of land masses. A sea of corpses will eventually be floating outside that ark. The people that are hating God standing in on ground as the waters rise, ankle level, knee level, waist level, And when we hit chin level, still cursing the Lord and hating Him. Forgetting that were they only to repent and believe, they would have been saved. The earth, it tells us, is it, it, it says there in 19, it says that the water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher and the mountains were covered. All the flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts 
and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind, all that was on dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land. From man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left together with those that were with him on the ark. That all of life was scraped from the face of the planet. That all the unrighteousness was destroyed. And nothing could prevent it. Drowned in an encompassing flood. Erasing that stain of sin that they were leaving on the world. That they were leaving upon God's creation. Left to their own ways, they chose sin over the righteousness of God. They chose themselves over God. They chose the creature, chose the created over the creator. And they drowned. They are similar to the ones of Revelation 6.16, I imagine, who beg for the, in 6.16, who beg for the mountains to cover them so that they do not gaze upon God. These are the ones that would be begging for the mountains of water to cover them from the wrath that is coming. And that just shows how unhinged people become without God. They are given over to their madness. That they will take death over the fact of facing God and in turn, they are still facing God. Yet that ark represents, represented faith. The faith that saves. Faith in a God that saves. The ark floating on that endless sea. Nothing but water. This worldwide flood. No windows, no portholes. Nothing to see on the outside. God has graciously protected them from seeing His wrath. What is occurring? Just faith in a God who saves. Trust in the promise of the seed of salvation. In Genesis 3.15, and it says that the water prevailed upon the earth for 150 days. 150 days in the ark, no sun, no break, just the ark. The entirety of mankind and animals encapsulated in the wooden boat. It is the opposite of a coffin. It was a lifeboat of faith that they were in. As the seas raged around them, the waves unfettered by land, moving and turning across the world, rising and falling in this small group of people, seemingly trapped, but in reality saved in this boat. Trusting in God, trusting in a God that they could not see. Trusting in the word that came to Noah. Trusting that God spoke to Noah. Imagine what the thoughts would be like if you were in that ark. Since they were men and women, and we are men and women, we would probably have similar doubts at various times. We can almost hear the boards creaking, and even cracking, and the boat crashing down. I think back to the time my father told me about being in a destroyer during the 50s in a typhoon in the South China Seas. And he says in a boat that is a ship that's almost 400 feet long, that the waves were so big that the boat would crash down after it crest a wave and you'd think it was breaking apart. 
and these waves were bigger. This was a storm, a flood unlike anything else that had ever been seen. You can almost you can almost understand how they might doubt. I mean, think about the Israelites, how quickly they turned back to the God of their own fashion when Moses was gone for 40 days. But Noah is a man of faith. He would be the one, that preacher of righteousness, still preaching righteousness and trust in God inside that boat, shepherding his family in faith, showing the family the ways of God, preaching the salvation of God, and telling them to trust in what the Lord is doing. He has this. We are in His hands. Verse 1 of chapter 8, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. Do not understand this to be that he had forgotten them. It's a Hebraic idiom. And it, what it really means is that God now begin, begins to act on their behalf. His wrath is coming to an end, and now it's time to act through his salvific act for man that is left and beast that is left. And it says that the water subsided as the wind passed over. That is that Hebrew term ruach, which is also used sometimes with regard to the Holy Spirit or the breath of life. But this ruach goes across the, it goes across the earth and the water is subsiding and is no longer rising. And the fountains of the deep and the floodgates, those those, those vaults in the deep are closed up, it says, and the rain from the sky restrains, so the windows of heaven are closed, so the rain is no longer falling. In verse 3 it says, And the water receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of 150 days the water decreased. He is acting on the behalf of salvi- the salvific act of man. They were protected during the journey, through the judgment, they were hidden from the wrath, and now he is seeing them through. They have, for lack of a better term, they are going through a baptism that is happening here. It is a signal that as the waters subside, that the that the judgment has ended, that this little boat in the precious cargo where they are just practicing stewardship, animal husbandry inside that ark, willfully trusting in the Lord, and now their baptism into new life is beginning. Baptism into a world unlike any they have seen before. The world that they closed, that the door was closed behind on them, and now is a new world that they will eventually see. The wind is moving the water in a specific way. Those broken cisterns are closed. The windows are shut on heaven, and the water has stopped. It is a new creation account that we're seeing here. God is recreating the world here. It is a supernatural work of God to save His chosen people. It is a supernatural work of God to save His chosen people. Those ones that are found hidden in Him. In verse 6, it tells us, or excuse me, Verse 4, in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, 
That's your 150 days. The ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. The water decreased steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. So 74 more days have been added. 224 days they've been in the ark. It's a long time. We don't know what happened all within that ark, and we're not told. So therefore, we're not going to give ourselves over to speculation on what did happen there. What is important is they were obedient in God's redemptive plan, His salvific work. In verse 6, it tells us, Then it came about at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. So 40 more days, 264 days now. We send a raven out, an unclean bird, a bird that can live off carrion, dead animals, is sent to fly to and fro out there, and it doesn't come back. Verse 8, it tells us, Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated. To see if the water was abated from the face of the land. Verse 9, But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. There was no place for this dove to find sustenance or to land. The, earth, the Lord is still, Yahweh is still preparing the earth for its inhabitants, for this family. Verse 10, so they waited yet another seven days. And again, he sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came back to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was, catch this, a freshly picked olive leaf, new growth. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Remember, this is a supernatural act of the Lord. Verse 12, then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again, so she has found a resting place. So now, okay, at verse 12, we are at 285 days in the ark. Verse 13, now it came about in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark, looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. Behold, the surface of the ground was dried up 314 days. Verse 14, in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. We are now at 370 to 371 days they have been in the ark. Over a year. They have been in this little boat. And remember, I'm certain this silk, it seemed big when they were building it. But when they were floating around the earth, it probably seemed pretty darn small when they were on it. In verse 15, then God spoke again, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives, 
go out of that ark, the one that I hid you in, the one that I protected you in, bring out with you every living thing of all the, all the flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. The water was moved into its proper place. The earth was dry. The judgment had come. And those that were saved were saved. Not one was lost that was intended to be saved. All kept in God's hand during this long year plus period of time. They have now been baptized into a new world. They have been baptized through the judgment that God gave, hidden in His protection. Essentially a new world in the same place. By faith they trusted in Yahweh. By faith Noah, the one who was to give rest, rested in the Word of God and trusted in God's Word that He would protect them. We see the ark transporting them to this new land, saving the righteous. We see the ark baptizing them into this new land. We see God baptizing the Israelites into a new land. We see Christ baptizing us into a new life Himself. Christ leads us into new shores of a new land, in a new home which we have not seen yet. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 gives us these words. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. We just wonder, did they take, when they walked into the ark, did they take one last look to see what they were leaving behind? But we know they trusted in the Lord because they went into that ark. We are not to look back, not to trust the things of the earth. In verse 3 it says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden like these men and women and these animals were hidden in the ark. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. We are too hidden away in Christ for those that are found as believers, as Jesus, as Lord and Savior, hidden in Christ. We are like, we are like Moses when he is placed in the cleft of the rock. We are placed in that cleft and we are hidden in him. We are found protected from his wrath. We are found protected from his judgment as it will pass by. We should know the truth of being hidden in Christ. We should walk with confidence knowing that the judgment does not touch us. 
For Christ has taken that judgment upon Himself. We should know that then, and we should tell people about this Jesus who saves, who hides us from God's judgment, who is the righteous one, who clothes us in His righteousness. We find our rest in Him. He bears the burden for us. He guides us into a new home. We are hidden in Him, hidden in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as the raging storms of sin churn up around our lives here. But they are kept at bay by a sovereign God and a sovereign Savior. So the question we would have then, do you know Him? Do you know this Jesus? Do you know the Christ that saves? Do you know the one that shelters you from the storm? Do you know the one that takes the judgment of God's wrath on your behalf? Or, are you one of those outside the ark as the waters are rising every day? Looking at the gathering clouds, watching as it reaches to your knees, feeling the earth tremble, and saying, I'll be safe. I have no need for a Savior myself. Like the ark, Christ can shelter you from the coming storm. The expiration date is drawing close. Trust and have faith in Christ Himself. Repent and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let Him shelter you and guide you to a new life free from the bondage of sin. Are you hidden in Christ or are you still walking in the world? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this recorded this recorded story telling us about Noah, that man of righteousness, the one who walked with you, God. We know that he was not a perfect man, but you used him mightily. You used him as part of your full plan for salvation. The seed was brought through his line. We ask you that you would allow us to have the faith like Noah had as he walked into the, that ark, not looking behind as the door was shut on the sinful world behind him, looking anxiously for the glorious new life found in you, God. We ask that there are any here that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they would pledge their lives to him today and ask to see him, to know him, to understand him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.